0: Amen. Once again, something for us to look forward to. Uh, take out your Bible and turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Boys and girls, you're dismissed as you're heading out this morning to Children's Church. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Go ahead and find it there in your Bibles. And um, we will look at this passage of Scripture in just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter Chapter 4. You know, let's just praise the Lord again for His provision, His kindness, His goodness to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for Your love for us. We thank You, Lord, that You have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We pray that You would help us this morning, Lord, to be students of Your Word. We pray that right now, Lord, Your Spirit would fill our hearts. Lord, He would open our eyes. Lord, that he would be our teacher, and so, Lord, we just ask that you would do a work in each of our lives today for Jesus' sake. We ask it in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, you've opened your Bible there to 1 Timothy 4. We'll read from it in just a moment, but it was a 19th century evangelist. It was D.L. Moody who has been attributed with saying this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. I'm going to read that again. The Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. You you see, when we think about what D.L. Moody is saying is that, you know, and sadly, in many Christian cultures and in many Christian contexts, the information of the Bible is oftentimes what is focused upon, and we have excluded the, the emphasis of life transformation. I mean, just think about it. How, how many Bible studies have you been to where the question to be discussed is, what do we know? And the question was not asked to the group, well, then what are you learning to obey? You, you see, you see we, we talk so much about information, and if we're not careful, within the church and even in, within our discipleship settings, we will elevate information of the Bible to the exclusivity of, of a life of true transformation. But here's the thing, you and I were not meant to remain the same. We're not meant to remain the same. And regretfully, though, you're here this morning, and if you're honest, maybe some of you have begun to plateau in your Christian life. You, at one time, would describe yourself as a growing Christian, but not today. Today, you would describe yourself as going through the motions, you're, you're, you're just merely begun to plateau in your Christian life. But here's the thing, the Bible's very clear that when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when a person is born again, the Bible tells us that that person is a new creation, there is a dynamic work that is happening in the life of a person when they come to know Christ. There is this regenerating, renewing work of the Spirit of God from within a person. And so when we receive Christ into our life, it changes us, okay? Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him it changes you. It changes you. The gospel should change us. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ changes us. I love how Donald Whitney describes it. He says, we come to God through the gospel and we live for God through the gospel. You see, Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The, the implication being that if you have come to know Christ as your savior, if you've received Christ, there is a responsibility of you to walk in In him. Paul describes it in the book of Romans. He says that for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, notice what, to be conformed to the image of his son. If if, if we look in the book of 2 Peter, we we find it there as well, where he says to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, So 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 there is this reality for the Christian that our lives are to be growing. It's like what Dylan talked about this morning with the tadpole growing to become a frog there there is change and transformation that ought to happen in the life of a believer I had a professor in college and he said it this way he said all Christians grow turn to your neighbor and tell them all Christians grow now turn to the next person and remind them of the same fact all Christians grow they all grow they may grow at different rates they may grow at different paces but all Christians grow There's transformation. Our spiritual life should be transformed. And so we ask ourselves the question, maybe you're asking the question this morning, so wait a minute, if the Christian life is to be changed, if we are new creation and there is this transforming work in our life, then the question must be asked, right? Is spiritual transformation the result of God or a result of my own effort? Someone tell me. Is spiritual transformation in our life a result of God and his work in our lives or is it a result of me and my own effort? It's both. (laughs) Don't you like those questions? You know, it's like A, B, and then it could be both. It is both. It's both. You say, how so? Just consider the life of Paul of Tarsus. Think about the apostle Paul and think about the way in which his life was so dramatically changed. Remember the Bible tells us that he was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a very zealous man for the cause of what he thought righteousness was. And you remember that day that Paul is on the Damascus road and and there's this blinding light, there's this voice from heaven? And Paul's life on that day was radically changed. And he says some things in his letters. He talks about his story, about how his life was changed. And I believe this morning, if if, if Paul was to walk in through the doors this morning and we were to bring him up front and, and ask him a question to tell us about how this transforming work happened in his life, I think he'd say a few things. I think the first thing he would say to us is that God is committed to our transformation. It's what he said to the church in Philippi when he said he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news to know that God is committed to your spiritual growth? God is committed to your spiritual sanctification. God is committed to your transformation. That he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Yet I think Paul would be honest and say, you know, but there are also things that we must do. There, there are actions and responses in cooperation with the Spirit of God in our life that produces that spiritual growth. Because he says also in the exact same letter to the book, in the book of Philippians, when he says that God is doing this work and he will bring it to completion, Paul also says, but therefore you ought to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love how this one theologian described it. He says God's work, God's work does not make our work unnecessary. It makes it possible You see, the power of the Spirit of God in our life is what enables us to do, to change, to to conform, as Paul says, to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Paul ends his letter in Philippians by saying... He says, not that I have already obtained this or imperfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see what's happening in the life of Paul? If we were to ask Paul, Paul, tell us, what, what, what is the reason for this massive shift in your life? How do you go from being a persecutor of the church to somebody who loves the Lord and loves others? How, how, how did this dynamic change happen in your life? And he would tell you, he said, well, God's committed... the growth in my life. But secondly, there is something I must do. There there, there are things that each one of us must do as we we respond to the Spirit's work in our life. He, He summarized it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, though, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. So look up here for a second. God accomplishes His purpose. God accomplishes His transforming work in our life, not despite us, not not apart from us, but God does those things in our life through us. God's doing things in your life today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God has the power to change a life? Yes or no? How many of you would raise your hand in testimony to say, hey, I'm a life that's been changed? Look around the room. Now, here's the thing. I wish we had time today because there are are so many more stories, although different, similar to that of the Apostle Paul. Apart from the grace of God today, where would I be? Apart from God's grace in my life, apart from his saving work in my life, where would I be? But all of us know, when you came to Christ, I want you to think right now how old you were. How old were you when you came to know the Lord as your Savior? How old were you when that transforming work of the Spirit of God happened in your life? You remember? You remember how old you were? And how many of you know the reality that you're not who you used to be, praise God? You're not even who you were then. But by the grace of God, there's a change happening in your life. There's a work that God's committed to. But you would also be equally honest to say, you know what? It has not been easy. Listen, the Christian life is simple, but the Christian life is not easy. It is simple, but not easy. How how many of you have been saved a number of years and you say, you know what? I still find it a struggle to live for Christ. Can I see your hand? How many of you honest? Like, come on, look around the room. Let's just be honest with one another in church this morning, right? I mean, I mean, some of us have come to know Christ years ago, and yet we find ourselves in a place where we're like, you know, I, I got saved 20 years ago, but, 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 but I'm still finding myself struggling in some of the same things that I struggle with. And you know, this morning, we're going to jump in to something new today. It's, we're, we're really taking a journey together as a church to understand these grace habits in our life. I love how David Mathis, he wrote an excellent book, Called habits of grace. I I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. He says the way to receive the gift of God's empowering our actions, here it's very simple, is to do the actions. All right. He he says if you want God's grace to, 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 to enable your actions and your growth in Jesus Christ, then you just have to do the actions. you see, some of us are here this morning, and we have been a Christian for a long time, but we have not put in the effort that God would have us to put regarding our own spiritual growth. Yes, spiritual growth is a work of God, but it is also a work of you, responding to the Spirit of God in your life. That's why they're called spiritual disciplines. Can you say those two words with me? Spiritual disciplines. Two words, both communicating something. Spiritual. What do we mean by spiritual? Well, we don't mean religious. Uh, We're we're not talking about these mystical disciplines. We're, We're not talking about anything goes. We're not talking about any kind of experience that you think is a spiritual experience. That's not what we're saying. By spiritual, we're talking about things that have been worked and wrought in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. How has the Spirit of God infused and shaped our life by these spiritual practices? So that when we do spiritual disciplines, what is happening is that the Spirit of God is empowering, working through us. He is informing and infusing and shaping and molding us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So they are spiritual, but they are also disciplines, And by discipline, we just mean practice, exercise, activities. Spiritual disciplines are things that you do. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're things you do. They're things you do. They're they're, they're not just an attitude that you want to hold. They they, they are things that you do, practices that you do. I've defined it this way from my time of study. Here we go. This will be our working definition for the next number of weeks. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow His people in grace, draw them closer to Jesus Christ, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. Let me give you that one more time. You think about what this is saying. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits That by design, God uses to grow his people in grace, to draw them closer to Jesus Christ, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. You could think about spiritual disciplines like training exercises for your spiritual life. How many of you have a gym membership? Can I see your hand? All right, how many of you know when you go to the gym... Uh, how, well, I guess we should. How many of us know we should be at the gym? All right. But, but those of us who are at the gym and, and we have those exercises, and we've all, hopefully, maybe you've been to a gym before, you know what it's like to, to go through some form of a regimented workout. I see Micah's here and Micah's been building up over the last couple of years. That just didn't happen. That just didn't happen, did it, Micah? I mean, there was a lot of commitment and effort going to the gym, and he's not just doing one exercise, he's doing multiple exercises, right? He's, he's, he's working different muscles, he's doing these different things, but together, right, like together, his girlfriend would say, two thumbs up, right? Like, hey, together, it's doing something overall. And, and the same is actually true in our spiritual lives, that, that spiritual disciplines are practices, they are exercises that, that, that create an environment for our souls to grow spiritually and that to go, and collectively all of them all of these spiritual disciplines they work in our life in concert one with another so that what so that it will produce in us a life of godliness you see here's the thing all of us know that exercise does something exercise produces something And in the same way, we might as Christians know that these spiritual disciplines have a way of producing in our life godliness. But if we do not choose to do them, if we do not practice them regularly, they will have no impact on our spiritual life. So today, we're jumping into a new series that hopefully Lord Welling is going to take us through the end of September. And we're calling it Rhythms of Grace. Rhythms of Grace. Spiritual practices for a healthy soul. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to learn, develop, create, by God's grace, new habits, new disciplines in our life that that would create an environment for our souls to thrive. Rhythms of grace. I want you to think about what comes to your mind when I say the word rhythm. Rhythm. What do you think about? Someone tell me. What do you say? I can't hear you. Say it louder. Music. What about music do you think about? The beat, right? And, I, I, and some of us, I, you know, we just can't clap because you have a song in church, we're all clapping and it just... <laughs> like, like we just need someone up there keeping the beat, you know what I'm saying? Like So, so, so rhythms rhythms are that. They are this, uh, the idea of a rhythm is, is, is living with that intentional, consistent movement to a certain beat. It's, Jessica and I were talking this week, it's kind of, have any of you ever seen like a metronome in music? And like the metronome helps keep the beat, but, but, but music is more than just the beat, right? It's those in, the rhythm is those intentional, consistent movements within a, a song to a certain beat. So here's the question, then what is the rhythm for our lives? If we're to have rhythms of grace, if, if, if in our life, you and I, are to live in a certain, if we're, to, if we're to live our lives to a certain beat, then what is that rhythm? What, what is God's rhythm for your life and my life? What does what God want your life to look like? What, what, as you were to kind of examine your life over not just a day, but over weeks and months and years, and you were to consider the, the, the cycles and rhythms and, and flow to your life, what is the rhythm that God would have you as a child of God to live? And we know this, don't we, that the Bible is very clear that the, the, the beat that we go to, like the beat that we move to as Christians, looks different than the rest of the world. God's people are different. And there should be a different rhythm to their life, a certain beat to their life. That their life should look different. God has established rhythms in creation. Just look at a calendar. The rhythms of the day. And then the rhythms of the week, and the rhythms of the moon, and the stars, and we think about all these things that are in concert. Let me ask you a question. What was Jesus' rhythm? If we had to describe the rhythm of Jesus' life, could could you look in the Gospels and see some? things that Jesus did routinely? Could you look in the Gospels and find some practices that Jesus did over a number of days or or weeks? You see, we open our Gospels in the book of of Mark and in chapter one, we discover that Jesus withdraws to a desolate place to pray. And it's actually not the only time in the life of Jesus we find him doing that. Actually, in fact, you study the life of Christ and what you discover is that that there is this rhythm to Jesus' life of him withdrawing to a desolate place to be alone with his Father. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus tells us. He tells his followers. He says, man was not made, what? The Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath? Jesus is saying, hey, the Sabbath, this day of rest is to be a blessing. It, it, it's, it's not to be, to be something that creates this burden. You see, Jesus cares for our souls. I, I want you to look up here. I want you to think about this. When was the last time that you took some real spiritual inventory of how your soul is? And Jesus cares for your soul. And Jesus wants our souls to thrive. He, he wants our souls to be at rest. He cares for us. I mean, He was modeling for us in these moments away, and then talking about the Sabbath as a benefit to us. It, it's not to be this burden, and yet some of us have turned it into a burden. I mean, just the other week, I was, I was laying in the living room, and Jessica and I were talking about my week and everything coming up, and and, and I, I had a really busy week. And I, I can remember I was telling Jessica some things. And, and I said, you know, I, I just got so much to do. I said, do you want to hear? And I, I start naming it off. And I start reading it off. And, and I says, you know, I, I, she says, well, what, when, when are you going to take a day off this week? You know? When are you going to take a day off? And I, I said, here's what I said. I said, I can't afford to take a day off this week. You know what she said to me? She said, you sound just like the Israelites. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. I'm thankful for a godly wife that that I I did. I said, yes, ma'am. I I cleared the whole day. The next day, I I had things to move, things to reorganize, but I did. I thought, well, she's right. She's right. Somehow we think that, that in our life, we can do better than what God wants to do for us. But can I, can I encourage you? And I, and I say that because I know just months ago, I took sabbatical. Just months ago, I, I remember rhythms. But it, can I tell you, it's easy to get other things in your life to creep back in, to, to change the rhythm. How, how many of you know that to be true in your spiritual life? How, how many of you have set out on a, on a resolution of a new year to, 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 to look at your spiritual life in a different frame, in a different way, but you found yourself within a couple months just right back where you were? So, so we need to create and cultivate these healthy practices, these healthy rhythms in our life. Because on the outset of Jesus' ministry, he wanted his disciples to see that following him would look differently. Following him would, would, would have different rhythms. And so you've been holding that place in your Bible this morning. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're like, are we going to get there? Yes. 1 Timothy chapter 4, notice Paul here, he's writing to his son in the faith. He's, he's talking to Timothy about some important things that, that need to frame his life and ministry. And he says to him, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for For the life to come, you see what Paul's saying. He says, "Train yourself for godliness." I want you to say this verse with me. Both of these verses. Lift up your voice. Let's say it together. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Can I ask you a question? I want you to think about what comes into your mind when I say the word discipline. Discipline. How many of you that word feels like a positive word? How many of you it feels like a negative word? Doesn't discipline carry a negative connotation? Like even I told Jessica as we're thinking about this series, like Spiritual disciplines, that word discipline just feels negative, right? So I I like to think about them as spiritual practices. Discipline is not a negative thing, although in our society today, discipline is often viewed through a negative lens. I mean, you think about it. The purpose of discipline it, 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 it changes us, it grows us. We would all be honest, right? that at sometimes discipline is challenging, at some it can be difficult. Certainly, at some moments of training, discipline can be tiresome. But what does it produce? It produces something amazing, right? I mean, we we, we can look at a life of somebody who has applied discipline to an area of life and we can see something amazing, but we all understand it requires training. I mean, we all understand this, that to excel in anything in life, it requires discipline. Just think about some of the areas that you see people applying discipline to, whether it is an athlete who is conditioning for a certain sport, or whether it's a person who is learning a new musical instrument, or, or it could be someone who is developing a new skill or a hobby, someone who does something like pottery or woodworking. And we all understand that to develop a skill, to, 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 to develop in an area, it requires discipline. It requires training. But for some reason, why can the church of Jesus Christ not understand that to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ means to live a life of discipline. How, how do we not understand that? Like we can look at every area of life and see that, 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 that progress and growth and transformation happen with faithful discipline, but yet as the church, we, we want to say, well, Lord, you just do it. And we absolve ourselves of responsibility, the responsibility that God wants us to do, the practices and the habits that God wants us to develop. You see, the goal of a spiritual discipline is not so much about doing the thing as it is becoming the person. It's becoming the person that Jesus wants us to be. It's it's becoming like Jesus as we are with Jesus. And and spiritual disciplines, hear me, look, are not an end to themselves. It's not just doing the religious activity. You see, that's where the Pharisees got it wrong. They were very involved in a lot of activities. They were very involved in a lot of things that they did. But we all know that there was no spiritual fruit that it bore in their life, they they, they were living as if it was an end of itself, and spiritual disciplines are not. They're a means to an end. Notice what is the end in verse 7. Train yourself for what? Say it louder. Train yourself for, okay, say it louder. You're not with me. Train yourself for Godliness. godliness. That's the aim. That's the end. It's to have a godly life in Christ Jesus and notice it's to enjoy Jesus. It's, it's to live a godly life is to live a life with Jesus, to enjoy him, to delight in him. If you've ever watched a masterful pianist play on the piano or, or you've seen a woodworker who's there at his table and he's just carving or, or you've seen a golfer that, that like really has it all together. And they swing and the ball does exactly what they want it to do. You watch all three of those people, you know what they all have in common? They're not straining. They're not straining. They, they actually seem to be enjoying it. I, I don't enjoy golf the way that Justin St. Clair does. Justin and I were out golfing a couple weeks ago. I'm straining. I'm making all kinds of noises behind Justin. But I lift up my eye and I watch Justin. And it's like he could be on, you know, the PGA Tour. And I, and, and I, say, and I say, you know, he's not str- he actually enjoys the game of golf. That's why some of us don't enjoy the game of golf. Right? You ask my wife, do you enjoy playing the piano? She loves it. I sit down to play the piano? No, I, I need more what? What do I need? I need more practice, more training, more discipline. But, it, but, but if I have that, you see the connection? There is something of enjoyment. So listen to me, Christian. This is important. Why over this next number of weeks are we looking at these spiritual disciplines? Why would we do these things? What's the enjoyment? The enjoyment is not the rhythm itself. It's not the practice itself. It's what Paul says. The joy is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's what Jesus said about eternal life. Our aim in eternal life is not just to have it, but it's to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So once again, Mathis, he says, the means of grace fill our tank for the pursuit of joy, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. You see, here's the thing, Christian. If what you hear the next number of weeks are things to do and only do, but you miss out on the aim, you miss out on what it's doing in you, who God wants you to become, then you'll find the spiritual disciplines to be rather taxing. You'll find them to be rather laborious. You will find them to maybe even be difficult. But if you, if you would lean in to these things, these practices that by the Spirit of God, He is enabling you and shaping you and molding you through these things to know Jesus better, to delight in Jesus more. Then you'll find your life just so changed. I think about the senior saint that came to know the Lord many years ago and through a process of Bible reading and study and over the years, God began to change and grow and they're not who they once were. and But you were to talk to them today and you were to ask them the question, how do you study your Bible? I mean, uh, maybe they would tell you a few mechanical things that they do. But by and large, I think you would understand that it's become this art. It's become this love of just delighting in Jesus. And and, and the more that they've done it, the more fully they know their God and and there is something rich about that to them and there is some of us in this room that have not tasted of that for us Bible study is not that it still feels mechanical it still feels hard it shows us our room for growth it shows us what God wants to do in our life so train yourself for godliness the next number of weeks are going to feel like boot camp for the Christian okay okay all right? Boot camp for the Christian. And we'll not just be hearers of the Word, but we will be doers of the Word. Well, we're going to jump into our first spiritual practice. You ready? You ready? If you're still with me, say jump. All right, here we go. Practice one, the meditation of Scripture. Meditation of Scripture. If we're going to meditate on Scripture, it involves both reading and reading. Studying, hearing, applying, memorizing the Bible. But all of those things together lead to a life of meditation. You see, hearing God's voice is essential for the Christian. Look at me. If we do not hear from God, then how do we know what he wants us to do? We need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear from God. And you know what? Here's the great news. God speaks. And he has spoken to us in his word. How many of you have a copy of God's word this morning? Would you hold it up? You have a Bible? I want you to think about it right here. That Bible you hold in your hand. Everybody hold it up right here. Hold it up. Now hold on a second. Before you were ever given that, before it was ever typed, bound together, covered in leather, do you know there's a reality of something that happened before all of that? God spoke it. He's a God who speaks. And the Bible says that those who wrote the Scriptures were moved by the Spirit of God. They were moved by a speaking Holy Spirit. You see, this is the reality that God has things He wants to say, things that He has said in His Word. I think about what Doc said. He said what God has said, He's still saying. God is still saying these things to us through His Word. And so what does that require? It requires the first spiritual practice, and that is meditating on Scripture. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus, as the Word became flesh, and His flesh dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. He told one of His followers, He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so when we think about Jesus, Jesus comes as the embodiment of God's Word. Jesus comes... As God, he is the God-man, God incarnate, and the Bible tells us he is full of grace and truth. And so if we're going to grow in our spiritual lives, if we're going to have this spiritual progress, it's going to begin with meditating on God's truth. So what do we do with the Bible? Look, at you have it in your hands, all right? And you're at the gym this morning. So what's the exercises you're going to do with the Word of God? What are the exercises that that you're going to make a part of your weekly practice? First, read it. Read it. (laughs) How can you know what it's saying if you don't read it? Read the Word. Read the Word. Allow God's truth to speak to you. As we read Scripture, we begin to understand the Scriptures. So why? So that we might train ourselves for godliness. What's the aim? That we might obey it. D.L. Moody's mother gave him a Bible and inside on the cover, she put something to this effect. She says, the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. Can I ask you a question? What is your current pattern of reading the Bible? Look right up here. You had to answer this to the person next to you. What is your current pattern of reading the Bible? Do you have one? Do you have one? You know, often we blame our busyness, often we blame the chaos of our lives as to why we cannot spend time in the Word. But if we're honest, we all know we make time for what we want. So the question is, do we really want the Lord? Do we want a relationship with God? Do we see what Paul says is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ? Some of us don't know what Paul's talking about. It's amazing this morning. How many of you have a Bible again? Hold them up. Hold them up right here. What an amazing thing that today you have the tremendous privilege to have a copy of God's word. You realize that throughout the centuries and at some points and places around the world today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that don't have the privilege you have. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's actually a tremendous responsibility. Don't take it for granted. God's given you this tremendous treasure called the word of God. So read it. You say, how much of it to read? How much should we read? All of it. Read the whole thing. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. You say, we say, why did God give us his word in written form? Why do we have it this way? couple of reasons. Paul says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. He says in the book of Romans that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You you know why the church of Jesus Christ looks so deflated and deflated today? I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ should be a place filled with hope. And the reason why hope is not a a, a word that the church uses to describe itself is because I don't think people are in the Bible. I don't don't think people are allowing the scriptures to infuse within them God's hope. Just read the Bible. Some have estimated it takes around 70 hours to read the whole Bible. You say, that's a long time. Well, that's less than the amount of time that most Americans are watching something every month. I, I looked it up this week. I think it was 142 hours a month the average American spends streaming. You could read the Bible two times over in a month. So don't say it's too hard. But do you want it? Do do you really want to know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ? So do you have a plan? If you don't have a plan, find a plan. Today, that would be your homework, to find a plan. There are so many good ones, apps and resources and and books and devotionals and reading groups. There's all kinds of things you can do. Don't get hung up in the legalism of the amount of time, you know? Some people are like, I got to read a chapter a day. Or some people are like, the Bible in 90 days. Or some people are like, the Bible in one year. I got a better one for you. How about the Bible for life? All right? I mean, it's good if you want to go through it in a quick set of time. It's it's good if you want to make something for yourself, but but do something that seems attainable to you. I mean, if you've not opened the Bible and read the Bible, going from that to the Bible in 90 days is going to be quite a challenge. You know? But why don't you just get into it? Why don't you open it? Will you join the journey to read the scriptures? To Secondly, we hear... We read it, but secondly, how do we meditate? By hearing it. Hear it. Let the water of God's word wash over you. Get a scripture app that reads scripture. Find some good Christian music that lifts your soul. Download some podcasts. Download some sermons. Find yourself sitting faithfully under the teaching of God's word. Allow the word of God to wash over you to where you're not just hearing the word, where you're not just reading the word, but you're hearing the word. Something I've done this year that has been really rich in my own life is when I'm out walking the dog and I'm out on a, a walk, I, I have an app on my phone that reads scripture and, I, and it's just so, um, so enriching to hear it read. So we read it, we hear it, Thirdly, what do we do? We study it. We don't just read it, but we dig out in depth, in, in, in breadth, what, what, what God's word has for it. That, that, that takes time, it takes effort. Just yesterday, there was a group of ladies, about 20 ladies that came and gathered here. I hope, hope you were one of them. And for a number of hours, they were studying the scriptures. And then they came together and shared the scriptures. You know, there's places in the life of our church in our life groups this fall. In just a month, we're going to be launching a new year of life groups and meeting twice a month at least with other believers in our church. Will you find a life group to belong to? To study the word together. To grow with other believers. So we read it. We hear it. We study it. We memorize it. Psalm 109, Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against him. Do you see the the reality in our lives that some of us find ourselves just every time temptation comes, we're like that fish and it's just boom, boom. And we're just taking the bait every single time. The reason is we don't have God's word. We don't have God's truth in our heart. There's one means by which, in all the Bible, we will not sin against God. And that's what David says. We'll have God's word hidden in our heart. God's truth etched on our souls. But then finally, we need to meditate on it. We need to meditate on it. Number five, we need to meditate on it. God has designed us with a capacity to ponder, to, to desire, to reflect on things. We, we, we need to allow the truth of the Word of God just to to, to to work its way. Any of you make bread? Any of you guys make bread? Jessica's recently been making some bagels, man. They're great. But you know, when I make bread, you gotta you got to take all of those ingredients. you got to knead them together. And, and meditation is that for the Christian. It's taking the truth of God's Word that you have read, that you have heard, that you have listened to, that you have studied and and you're allowing the truth of God just to be worked into your heart. It's like guy's beef jerky. It's just like chewing on a good piece of jerky. You don't want want it to end. It's, It's like a diamond, ladies, on your finger and you just, you gaze at it and you look at it and you keep considering it from different angles. You're pondering it. As meditation, we're pausing long enough to allow God's truth. Some of us are so fast in our study of God's word, we're trying to get our three chapters a day and then pray and we're out the door and we're, we're not even allowing the truth of God's word to, to work itself through our life. Can I tell you this morning, there is great joy that comes through these spiritual disciplines. Joshua 1 eight. Last verse we'll look at. God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, what's the next word? Meditate on it, day and night, so you may be careful to do. There it is. It's a practice to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God comes to Joshua, this new leader of his people, and he says, hey Joshua, you want your life be successful you want your life to be prosperous comes by meditating on my word it comes by not just hearing it and reading it and listening to it but but internalizing it and meditating in it and applying it so that joshua in your leadership in your direction for my people you're you're going to do the right things you're going to do the things that i would want because you know my word i'll close with this quote by a Old Puritan Thomas Watson, he put it this way. He says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we have not warmed ourselves at the fire of meditation. If God's Word and the reading of God's Word seems cold to you, you've probably not sat long enough by the fire to allow it to warm your soul. So what about you this morning? Where are you in your spiritual life? Where are you in your Christian journey? How's your exercise? What's your practice in meditating the Word? Do you have one? I think all of us probably at a moment like this could probably say, Lord, I probably could do a lot more than I'm currently doing. How many of you feel like that? Okay. But start somewhere. The people that get out and run a marathon just didn't jump there. They did the couch to 5K plan, then the 5K to 10K plan, then the 5K to 10K plan a number of times, you know? And then then they ran. But but then you talk to somebody who's running marathons and they're like, I love, like Molly, she runs those things and she probably described words like, I love this. And some of us are like, what? (laughs) What? How can you even have those in the same sentence? Well, because, because there's been practice, there's been effort, there's been progress. What's our aim, church? What are, what are we after these next eight weeks? Someone tell me. What are we after? Not just discipline for discipline's sake. What are we after? 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself for what? Godliness. We want to we, we know Jesus better. We want to love him more. We want more affection for Jesus Christ. We want more desire for Jesus. We we, we want to feel more joy, purpose in our life with him. That's what we're after. Join us on the journey. Meditate on the word this week. Find places, moments, plans that will aid you and help you in this great pursuit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing in our life for Jesus' sake. Thank you, Lord, that we can all stop, look, ponder, and say, hmm, I thought I'd be further along by now. But you know what? In goodness and in kindness, Lord, you are faithful to complete what you have begun in us. And so Lord, I pray for each person who is here today that, Lord, they would see that, that Lord, you're committed to their spiritual transformation. You want them to know you better. You want your power to be seen in their life. You want their life to be different. You want their life to to beat to a different drum. You you want their soul to be satisfied with good things. You want what's best for us. So Lord, then by your grace, help us to put in effort. Help us to take steps today, this week, training ourselves for godliness because there's good news. It, It matters not just for this life, but it matters for the life to come. Lord, thank you for what you've done in our hearts today. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Jessica's going to play a hymn. There's some cards right up here on the front today. You want to pray for someone in our church? There's some people that have requested us to remember them. Would you come and pray for one of these cards today? I trust the Spirit of God speaking to your life. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he's, and he's just as clear as can be. You know the next thing to do. You know the next step to take. The question is, will you do it? And I pray that this morning, this time of invitation, it'd just be a moment for you to resolve it in your own heart. To resolve, what, what has God said to you this morning? What is the next thing for you to do? And will you resolve in your heart, in obedience to Jesus Christ, that you will do it? You'll do it. Let's respond as the Lord leads We're going to let Jessica play. And if you just want to come pray, come pray. Come pray for someone else. I invite you right there to kneel in your seat or to kneel up front. Just take some moments right here alone with God. Respond in the way that He has led in your life today. Let's pray together. Resolve to do what the Spirit is leading. Just resolve. Surrender. Surrender. but be faithful to do it. Ask the Lord to give you strength this week. Ask the Spirit of God to help you this week. He's committed to your progress. Father, we are thankful that what you've begun in us, you will be faithful to complete. It is with eyes of hope we long for look forward to that day. Lord, help us to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to, Lord, take steps to know you better. Lord, there's going to be much change that will happen through our life because of it. Newfound joy, new purpose, life change in the life of others. All for your glory. We ask it in your name. Everyone said, amen.